Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to this episode of the SG Engage podcast. I'm your host, Steve McLaughlin with Blackbaud. In the movies, artificial intelligence, or AI, usually means bad things for humans. The HAL 9000 computer, the Terminator, you know, bad robots for bad people. But that's science fiction, and AI is now computer science fact. What are the implications and possibilities for AI in the social goods sector? My guests today are going to explore this topic in depth with me. Uh, I want to welcome to the show Allison Fine and Beth Cantor, who are the authors of a new report, AI Forgiving. Welcome, Allison and Beth. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you, Steve. Great to be here. Allison, maybe let's start off with some background. How did this report come into play, and how did you guys navigate your way through the the artificial intelligence uh, labyrinth, if you will? Well, about two years ago, Steve, we started to look out on the horizon to see what was next after social media. Uh, we wrote a book, The Network Nonprofit, 10 years ago. It was published 10 years ago now. And we were looking for the next chapter. And it became clear that AI was being commercialized to the point where regular people, regular small organizations uh, could use the tools now. And then in conversation with the Gates Foundation, uh, we realized there is a now emerging field of using AI to expand giving and philanthropy. And we thought that's a that's a really interesting place to be right now. Yeah, that's helpful. And Beth, I know that the report was made possible by support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. What was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation interest in this topic in particular brought on by? Um, sure. Well, as you know, um, part of their uh, work is looking at how to increase giving and or to, and increase better and more giving. And a, a part of that is to democratize giving of everyday donors. And, um, and part of their strategy, it's really taking a system approach and taking a look at it from the platform level and the data level, as you well know, and also looking at a if looking at technologies and platforms, they're also looking at emerging technologies. So, um, and so this is a really uh, a new area, and I think this was the second research effort that they had commissioned. Um, they they did a, a overall landscape of all the different emerging technologies, and our charge was just to go deeper in the area of artificial intelligence and see, you know, how is it being used by different platforms fundraisers, what are the, the experts saying, um, what are some of the challenges, and what can we an anticipate uh, in the future? Okay, that's some good background. There are a ton of definitions and terminology in the, the AI lexicon. The, the one I often use is that you know, artificial intelligence enables machines to process or process, depending on where you're from, <laughs> information <laughs> and learn from data that in many cases AI is only as good as the data that it learns from. Allison, when you guys set out to do this research, how did you how did you decide who to talk to and what were some of the questions you were hoping to answer as a part of the research work? Uh, so we did build on the previous landscape work that the Gates Foundation had funded. 
And we were looking for ways that basically computer code is being used to automate tasks within the philanthropy field, both on the side, Steve, of helping nonprofits to raise money, but also the other side of the equation, which is helping to make sense of the field of causes for donors as well. And so we were looking for where and how is AI being put into the mix to help with research, to help with communications with donors, to match the interests of donors with particular causes out there. And uh, in doing that, provide opportunities for the humans that are in the mix to, first of all, stay in the mix. We never want to make, you know, we never want technology getting ahead of, of people, um, but also to free up people to do other things as well. And I'm going to build on Allison's um, answer um, specifically about like, who did, we, who did we decide to interview and how did we decide to navigate um, and define what AI for giving is from a technology side? Well, the who was kind of easy. We, um, of course, wanted to look at platforms, uh, data scientists, uh, AI researchers, fundraisers and, and donors um, uh, that were working in this area. So um, one thing we did do is we had a somewhat comprehensive list of the different uh, online fundraising platforms, and we did a quick kind of scan to see, you know, uh, is AI on your roadmap and explain the study and, and get an interview. And then uh, we, we interviewed different thought leaders um, in the field. In terms of like defining AI, and you, and you know, Steve, that it's not Artificial intelligence as one field doesn't exist. Um, it's yeah. many different specialists or subspecialties. And, and so what we kind of ended up on was a, 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 a typography that Google put together for their AI challenge. I don't know if you've seen it, where they kind of, it's a really good way to describe the different flavors of artificial intelligence that are out there. And we pulled from that the ones, we connected that to what was already, you know, how fundraising was already being done with that, with those different types of AI. So that was like rules-based solutions, uh, machine learning solutions, the kind of as core methods, and then um, audio processing, um, computer vision, uh, machine learning analytics, and natural language processing. So yeah, that's, that's, gr that's great. It's almost like the medical industry or medical field. There are a lot of subspecialties, yet we, we tend to use the term AI very generically, but in fact, machine learning is different than deep learning is different than robotics is different yeah. than visual spatial. It, it's complex, but I think what I really love about the work that you, you guys did on the report was to, to really make it understandable for fundraisers or nonprofit leaders to, to make sense of this. Allison, was there anything that surprised you at the end of the, the research work that wasn't something you thought or expected when you started out, but were pleasantly surprised when you, when you made your way through? I love that question, Steve, and appreciate the kind words. You know, Beth and I think of ourselves as the nerd whisperers so that um, <laughs> our job is to bring technology in all of its complexity to people and help them understand it. I think at the end of the day, what we were left with was this really deep impression, Steve, that there's an opportunity here for fundraising to be very different uh, in the future. One of the people we interviewed said, AI can't fix bad fundraising practices. 
And our fear is that too many people will grab some of these tools just to do more of the same kind of transactional fundraising of just asking, asking, asking over and over again. And we've talked with you about the cancerous uh, donor retention rates in the sector. And what we would like to see happen is that fundraising staff can use these tools to automate some of the work and then use that freed up time to really dig deep into relationship building with donors, to build the time, literally calendar their time to spend getting to know donors at all levels, not just the major donors, and understanding them better and understanding why their cause resonates with them and how they can make their cause resonate more deeply. That to us is both the biggest opportunities and almost the irony of this work is that AI, the most advanced technology in the world, can be used to rehumanize fundraising. Yeah, I love that last point, right? How do we rehumanize it versus how do we make the robots do everything we're doing today, just do it faster and we don't need to do it, turn it over to the robots. And in fact, that's not at all what this is. This is about in any way. It's really how do we leverage and harness some of the power of technology to do what works at scale. And, and Beth, you know this, organizations always struggle on the resource side to to do things at a scale that's repeatable and measurable, um, they struggle with that, and yet AI can really help with, with some of those areas. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Steve. Um, and we were thinking of it, I mean, most people think of, oh, wow, I can automate different tasks and save us a lot of time with the, you know, with the scut work that we don't need to do, that we would have an intern do, or that we spend, end up spending time um, doing when we really could be turning our attention and, uh, to the donors. So AI, yes, has great time savings um, because the algorithm can do things faster than the humans, but we need to think of it as freed up and repurposed time that we have. Um, and we really need to direct that time towards building those relationships with donors so that they are recurring donors and, and to think about ways that we can touch and engage with them. Yeah, maybe one way to think about it is how do we, how do we get an AI dividend? How do, we, hmm. how do we get some capacity or resources that are freed up because some of these things can be done? But also, I think there's often sometimes, Allison, a tendency for people to think, well, you know, but how does it know that that's the answer? Like, show me the arithmetic or show me how it went A, then B, then C, then D. But the reality is that's not how AI really works. It's not purely rule-based or purely a set of, you know, follow the bouncing ball, because that's what makes it different than, than really sort of how humans may behave in the real world, right? I think that's, I think that's right. First of all, let me just say the phrase, I'm going to use the phrase AI dividend a lot. Uh, moving. I forward. love it. So thanks for that. <laughs> AI is, quote, smart, right? And the smartness comes from feeding it lots and lots and lots of data so that it can find patterns that would be very difficult for people to find, either because it takes too much time or we just don't have the capacity to do that much uh, computing. And what's going to be challenging for nonprofits, Steve, is... As individual nonprofits, they're particularly medium to small ones, they're unlikely to have that much data to put into the system. And then you know better than anybody else in this entire field, Steve, that the data they have isn't, isn't good and clean. And there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure we're not feeding 
junk you know, into these systems. And that's going to be a huge challenge for most nonprofits. Yeah, it's a great point. I'm convinced that all the bad robots come from bad data that somehow if we could have averted Skynet if maybe we had some data hygiene or data health <laughs> practices, but uh, it's a good point. But to be fair, it, it does rely on a lot of data and information. And Beth, sometimes we can get false positives, right? There's, you know, the, the examples we see all the time of, you know, especially like uh, visual image AI, where is it a muffin or is it a dog, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And so that's true, right? It's only as good as what it's learning from. Are there some cautionary tales here, Beth? Are there some things that AI is great, but with great AI comes great responsibility, Spider-Man kind of thing, where we need to be careful here? I, oh, t definitely. And I know Allison could talk about this, but I'll give you just one small, really practical example of that. Okay, let's say a, a larger organization in their database uh, has a software program that, you know, uh, uh, it has AI embedded and it's using machine learning to figure out the right kind of uh, message to send the donors or the right frequency of, of that messaging. And let's just say that they, in addition to their in-house data, they've also acquired, you know, a third party database, which you know is, is common. And so this, so that that data is brought in and they don't have a whole lot of information from the vendor uh, about the source and how it's been, how things have been labeled. And then all of a sudden um, in the fundraising department and the marketing communications department, records start to come up and they can see additional bits of information like race or gender. And, but the, the staff doesn't know like how those data labels came to be. <laughs> and, and, and just shows more of uh, the nonprofits needing to kind of push back on the data, uh, the data vendors to be more transparent about, you know, how they came up with these labels. Are they just guessing? <laughs> Are they making certain assumptions? And, and then also to educate staff in-house that are gonna be using the, the, those data points to make decisions about how to, you know, drafting communication, for example. And you can see where things could go awry if they, you know, if it, I'll be more explicit here, if it, if it said uh, gender was female, but the name, because the name sounded like a female name that's in, you know, the, the, the algorithms indexing, right? But it, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like yeah. That. In, in addition, Steve, building on what Beth was just talking about, which is just, you know, spot on, we are seeing, beginning to see instances of social service providers screening potential clients through chatbots and other AI mechanisms. And within those screening code, within that code, um, are the historic markers of discrimination that have always discriminated against people by say race and sex or gender and you know automating that will make it even harder for people to receive services so algorithmic discrimination is a huge potential problem that is starting to develop and another yeah. way that um i'll just build again <laughs> um, allison's point as you can see we love talking about this um, yeah. i was thinking about i mean we we looked at a whole range of giving options and one of them was a donor advising like i think there was a term coined called filgorithms so the equivalent of robo advisors kind of advising people on how you know 
where they might donate, what types of organizations, people of wealth. And if in that database is based on historical patterns, then that might prevent uh, donations happening to other types of organizations that don't historically receive donations from a certain set of people. Yeah, the, the challenge of bias, you know, we, we deal with the challenge of bias in the, the analog world, but when you digitize this stuff, the bias can get really magnified because if there's some inherent flaws or bias in the data, yeah. the source of the data, and, and sometimes it's not, you know, uh, it's not malicious. It just may be the fact like, you know, Allison, you made the point of the, the chat bot or something like that. The fact that that data is collected online uh, by people who are going online immediately has a bias towards people who use the internet. And while lots of people do, not everyone does. And so you have to be careful about how that data is sourced, how it's curated. In, in many ways, I, I sort of often compare it to if you're cooking a meal at home from scratch, you want to know where those ingredients came from. And <laughs> you, you yeah. have to be careful about what you're, you're putting in because the machine's just going to run with the data. It, it, it doesn't know to check for it. And so that's a blind spot potentially. And in addition, Steve, AI is potentially so much more dangerous than social media uh, because you can't see it, right? You don't know that you're talking to a robot necessarily, or you don't know that it's AI algorithms that are spinning around in the background um, and, you know, creating decision-making for someone. And so the lack of transparency, the lack of access to the code, particularly since we're going to need to have commercial platforms involved, uh, is of enormous concern as well. Beth, I know another concern that's been expressed is kind of the, the skill set needed where people would say, look, I'm not a data scientist. I don't understand how to do a regression analysis. How do I take advantage of this even if I don't understand all the pieces? How is that changing, right? The the requirement for you to understand how all of it works or to actually operate the machinery versus being a beneficiary of it? Uh, Steve, that's a great question. <laughs> and um, and it's really interesting to me, even the larger organizations or, or platforms that have quote unquote a data scientist, like someone like with that title on staff, like I'm, I'm not sure if that's part of your title, but somebody who's trained like you are to do this, even one person isn't enough given the complexity of the artificial intelligence field because because of the different subspecialties. Now, uh, if we're talking about smaller nonprofits, of course, probably data scientists wasn't, won't be the first thing that they'll hire. <clears throat> they'll, they'll probably look at other positions. And also, um, they're probably not going to be doing it. <clears throat> they don't need to know how to necessarily make the sausage themselves, but they need to understand how the sausage is made. Maybe that's a bad metaphor or analogy, but it's really the tools that they're going to be using. And, 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 um, and they need to not necessarily have a PhD in data scientists, but they need to kind of um, ask well-informed questions about how the tool works and not just accept it as a, bit, a black box, right? And understand about data bias, right? How, how, is this, how is the algorithm making the decisions, right? And if there is third-party data coming in, where's the, what is the source of that data? And what is the logic behind labeling that? So they need to become, I'd say, educated consumers of AI, not, not actually people who have the technical skills to build it. Yeah, that's a great point. I think very few organizations will have their own, you know, set office or team or group of data scientists, but in probably reality is they'll use tools and technology that leverage AI. And so they, um, 
they don't need to know how to build the car. They need to know how to drive the car safely and operate it safely, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or they take it to the... Or take it to the mechanic, and the mechanic says, you need a whole new engine, when they really don't. Right, and you have to know what what to push back and ask the mechanic about, right? You're not just going to trust him, turn over your car uh, to that person. And so, you know, the phrase that Beth just used, you know, making helping people to be educated consumers of AI is spot on. Allison, where are we in the historical timeline? Are we still in the prehistoric era of AI? Is this, are we at the beginning of the beginning? Maybe compare this to other things you've seen in terms of digital or social. Where, where does AI fit into the timescale here? So, you know, the traditional model of tech adoption, Steve, is looks like a hockey stick, right? You come along the blade slowly, slowly, slowly. Then you hit the turn and you start to shoot straight up in the air. And our feeling is we're right at that turn. We're right at the heel of the hockey stick because the technology has become so much uh, less expensive than it was and commercially available than it was just two, three years ago. That's how quickly uh, this is moving. So it feels like 2008, 2009 for the last time we did this with social media. And the adoption curve is enormous right now. And in some ways, in some cases, it's being uh, expedited because of COVID, right? That, that people are starting to look at the need uh, to have um, robots and chatbots um, because we are so socially distant uh, from one another. So we're right now in the thick of things for adoption, which is why Beth and I feel like there is some enormous urgency around the need to help nonprofits get ready uh, to adopt the technology and use it well right now. That's great. Beth, what are some recommendations that you and Allison came up with in terms of how nonprofits can start to think about AI and, and move up the hockey stick curve, if you will? Great question, Steve. And um, and you and Allison and myself, this isn't our first rodeo on this, right? Because <laughs> <No. laughs> um, every time like a new technology comes, I sort of like, you know, I, I find myself saying some of the same process steps because we know that we don't want, at least, you know, we don't want to fall into shiny object syndrome where we're like, like bowled over by the technology. But at least in this case, there's a little bit of a, a challenge to adoption. <laughs> so there's a natural kind of slowing down. So, um, so, so the first thing is to think about what's the real strategic purpose uh, for using these tools. And, um, and I'm talking not just giving, but maybe integrated into programs and be able to kind of pressure test that idea. You know, is this the right tool? And, and if so, what is the big question we're trying to answer? What is it that we're trying to achieve? I think for in fundraising, we need to um, really make a mind shift from the transactional to the relational. And again, we just, we talked about this earlier, you know, how do we repurpose our AI dividend <laughs> to, you know, to build relationships with donors? And then we start getting into some of the operational practical concerns, like do you have access to usable, clean, complete, relevant data? Um, do you have access to people with expertise um, to build the algorithms? Um, are you, you know, are, are you knowledgeable yet uh, uh, to go out there and go shopping between the different tools and ask the right questions, like if you were buying a new car, to, to further that car analogy? Um, or do you have a trusted 
sort of consumer reports uh, source that can that's neutral and that can kind of give you some feedback on the different tools. And then, of course, to have a strategy and plan uh, to manage the ethical concerns around uh, donor privacy or data and data bias. And of course, we you know with GRDP we have you know some strides in that, but we also have to think about data bias as well. No, that's a great point. Allison, recommendations that you would pass on as well to, to leaders and staff and organizations who are looking at this? I think that we would recommend people think about creating uh, an experiment this year. Steve, make it time limited, make it uh, program area limited, limited. Try, you know, incorporating AI into some part of your process. If it's fundraising, maybe it's a chatbot or maybe it's a a software program like Gravity that helps to draft um, emails to uh, donors, particularly donors about to lapse, and put some of the safeguards in place that Beth just mentioned, particularly around the ethical use of data, and give it a try because the technology is now ready to be used and you don't want to be left behind uh, in this uh, moment. Great. Beth, how do people who are listening to the show today download and get a copy of the report. They go to www.ai for the number giving.org. Uh, you'll see um, a teaser up there of the executive summary. You just jump to download the report. We're asking, uh, we're trying to track to see how many people are reading it and also to invite to future um, discussions about this. So we're, we are asking for your name and email. We're not going to use it for any other purpose. So please download the report and let us know what you think. Great. Yeah. Highly recommend it. It is 56 pages of goodness on this topic. <laughs> Allison and Beth, thanks so much for sharing just a, a little bit about what you found in the research report and uh, really appreciate you coming on the show again. My pleasure, Steve. This was terrific. We're grateful to you. Great. Thanks so much. That's it for this episode of the SG Engage podcast. This episode is brought to you by the letters A and I. Of course it is, right? Thanks for listening.